Well, isn't it great seeing a handwritten letter on the doormat? Doesn't often happen. It's usually printed. It's usually a bill. But a handwritten letter in our house, it's pretty certain that that means an invitation. And it's pretty certain it means a wedding invitation. It's exciting. Who's getting married now? Perhaps you might have been expecting it. But who is getting married? You tear uh, open uh, the envelope. Well, in our case, I just hand it to my wife and she tears open the envelope. And lo and behold, there we have the bride to marry the groom. It's party time. It's rejoicing. There's a wedding to look forward to. Here's my most recent one. Tom Woodbridge and uh, Rosie, perhaps some of you. Uh, in the, uh, the congregation, got one of those invites. Exciting, May the 14th. I'm looking forward to it. And the story that we're in, in Matthew 22, Jesus, he tells about the greatest wedding banquet ever. The greatest party to look forward to. The best wedding feast. And it's the kindest and most generous of invites. See, we're coming to the end of our series. This is the last of five. We're talking about the upside-down kingdom of heaven. And we saw at the beginning, the upside-down kingdom of heaven is like the king who's riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. And it prompts response from people, from the children, it's praise and hallelujahs, but from the leaders of the faith that that king represents, they're indignant. Matthew 21, verse 23, Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching the chief priests and the elders of the, pe of the people, they came to him. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? The elders of the religion where Jesus claims he's the key are pointing the finger. On what authority do you make such claims? And now the dialogue is between Jesus and the chief priests and the elders. And he's speaking to them in parables, as we've seen, condemning stories that highlight the failure of their leadership. The leadership has gone wrong. And you're the leadership, Jesus points out through his stories. He's ripped into them and their inadequacies and their disloyalty. And here's the greatest shock in verse 43 of 21. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, the very leaders, and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And in verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Yes, they've got it. And Jesus, with his third story, this is it. It's the final nail in the coffin. What have the leaders done wrong? You see, in this parable, in this story, Jesus helps them see two things. They've made two huge mistakes. 
Indeed, the leaders in this time have made the mistakes, but throughout the centuries, people have made these two mistakes. In 2016, across the world, people are making these mistakes. In East Oxford, in Cowley, even even in Magdalen Road this morning, people make these two mistakes. And here's the first one. They reject the wedding invite. So the call this morning is please don't reject the wedding invite. Jesus dives in with the story. Let's follow it from verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. It's the king who organizes the banquet. Uh, Apparently in those days it was the father of the groom who picked up the bill for the wedding. What a shame it's not like that now, but never mind. It's the king who organizes it. And he sends his servants, verse 3, go and call the invited guests, the already invited guests. It's like me already having the invitation to Rosie and Tom's wedding months in advance. It's like them giving me a little call a couple of days before. Hey, we're ready. Off we go. Just confirming you're coming, aren't you? That's exactly what the servants are sent out to do. And of course here, we understand quite quickly, who is the king? The king is God. And the son is the Lord Jesus, whom he's putting on a wedding banquet for. And that's the kingdom of heaven. The wedding banquet is the picture for the kingdom of heaven, for heaven. And it's a familiar picture for the Jews of that day. What they do in verse 3. But those who had been invited to the banquet tell them to come, but they refused to come. In verse 4, once again, the king sends more servants, this time with a graphic picture of the feast. Perhaps this is a little more tempting. The oxen, the fatted calf, everything is ready. The table plans, they've been sorted. The corks have been popped. The heat of the soup is at boiling point. Now we're ready. Please come. And here, the chief priests, the Pharisees. They know where Jesus is going with this. The prior invitation since Mount Sinai, since the covenant was made with the Jews, and since then, prophets have come and have spoken plainly about the time the king would return. John the Baptist has reminded them. And yet again, the Jews, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they've rejected the invitation. Isn't that true? That some people just reject the invitation? It's apathetic indifference. And we see it all around us. It's just the busyness of life crowds out the invitation to come and hear more of Jesus or come and work him out or or come and listen to someone who will explain the gospel. Isn't it true that for so many of our friends, it is just apathetic indifference? Family constraints, more social opportunities, business matters, studies, career. It's those things that get in the way of accepting the invitation. It's the mundaneness of every day, of the routine of life. These are the things that often stop our friends, that perhaps stop you from trusting 
in Jesus from accepting the invitation. Numerous examples. But look at verse 5 and 6. They pay no attention the second time. And they went off, one to his field, another to his business. But the rest, they seized the servants. They ill-treat them. They killed them. See, sometimes we bump into people who are openly hostile. Actually, raging at the name of Jesus, at the thought that he can be king, the thought that he is the only way to God. You've got a friend like that, or perhaps a a family member, who cannot bear to hear you speak of your faith. I remember being at a wedding a few years ago, chatting with the preacher after he'd finished in the bathroom of all places. For a man, who was so enraged by what he had heard. How dare you say that Jesus will judge me? For the man to pin my preaching friend up against the wall of the toilet. How dare you say that? You see, most of our friends just are apathetically indifferent. But some are openly hostile. It's the same today, isn't it? The spread of ISIS, the hatred towards Christianity and its message. And we can expect it where we live. Cowley Church, expect it. Yes, apathetic indifference, but open hostility to the good news of Jesus. And look at verse 7. God will be moved to action. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. It's a clear warning for us. Those who reject the invitation, they will receive judgment. Verse 8, the servants are sent a third time. Don't miss this, the generosity of the king in wanting to share his feast. It's the third time the servants are sent. And look to see who they invite. He said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. For those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite the banquet to anyone you find. And so the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find. The bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. You've refused the invitation. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Now, the invitation goes to the tax collectors in verse 31. The prostitutes. Remember last week, we heard the cinema goers or the the sinners in real life. The good and the bad. See, here's our first point this morning. There's a great feast. It's a magnificent party. Don't reject the wedding invite. And here's the second point from 11 to 14. Don't ignore the wedding dress code. See what happens. When the king came in to the wedding feast to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. 
And he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Imagine the scene of the great wedding hall. The banquet's ready. People are sitting down. They're talking. The wine has been poured. They're talking to each other. And the king enters. It's my feast. And he casts his eye over the feast. All ready to roll. And he sees a man. And he asks the question, how did you get in here? It's given then that there's a specific dress code. Uh, Of course, there must be. I can imagine at Tom and Rose's wedding, um, I'd love to do it, but I daren't. pair of Bermuda shorts and flip-flops. I just daren't do it. I quite like to. But of course I'm going to stick out. Of course I'm going to be conspicuous. Tom would walk through, he'd see me. He might have a little smile, but that's not the point. Rosie would be devastated. What's he doing? Has he not come in right wedding attire? Has he not put his best clothes on to celebrate our wedding day? It's our feast. And the king does exactly the same. And what do you expect might happen next? I think this is the crux of the story, surely. Because everyone's waiting. The generosity of the king is so great. He sent his servants three times. It's the mother of all wedding feasts. What's going to happen next? The king take his friend round the shoulder and say, don't worry, friend. No problem. You're welcome here. Isn't that what we almost hope the end of the parable is all about? God, he's a gracious king, a good king, a king who's generous. No worries, friend. Come. Verse 13. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot. Throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The king says, take him out. Take him out and execute him. That's the call of the king. Isn't this surely an overaction? An overreaction, sorry. What is Jesus telling the chief priests and Pharisees at this point? And it's a serious point. Of course, they're meant to stand still, speechless as the man in the parable. We're meant to sit up in our chair, restless. See, Jesus has spoken of hell in other parables recorded in Matthew's gospel. It's where the unrighteous, it's where the wicked go. But isn't the treatment way too harsh? After all, this lad, he's made it to the banquet and others haven't who were invited. Well, what do we make of this? The Old Testament invitation to God's people, it needs two responses. It needs a reply. It needs a hand to be raised and said, I'm coming. I expect, accept the invitation. But the invitation to God's wedding feast, it also requires a dress code to enter God's presence. What is that dress code? All the way through the Bible we see it. It's righteousness. It's holiness. It's perfection to even step foot into the mere presence of God. And Jews would have known what the dress code was, the required dress code. 
because this is their current dress code. It's our current dress code, Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. There's no one good enough for God, says Jesus. You're not good enough to enter his presence. You see, to rock up in the wrong clothes is to spurn God's provision of the right clothes. The man thinks he's okay in his own clothes. He presumes he's not sinful. He presumes that he doesn't need to meet the required dress code for the banquet. And isn't it the same mistake for us today? People, they think they're good enough. And even for some Christians, I know for me, I think I played being a Christian for about 10 years. I accepted the invitation. I remember making a profession of faith at the age of 12. I said, yes, I'm a Christian. And then I think I really misunderstood what that meant. It's like a label. It kind of prompted me to try and live a better life. I see for some friends now, even trying to secure that position of being a Christian by their good works, by their law-abiding place in society, by charity. And Jesus screams, filthy rags. It's like filthy rags standing in my presence. There's no place for pride in heaven. You cannot, by your good works, enter Why is the good news of Jesus so great at this point? The invite is generous, but it's based upon saying to myself, yes, to trusting in Jesus, and then trusting that his death are the royal robes to clothe myself in. Not just one time, but every single day. Not just to say, Lord, I trust you today, take me. But every single day to wake up and say, Lord, I need you today. I need your royal robes. Forgive my pride when I think I'm okay, I'm good enough. I'm not. There's no place for pride in heaven, and yet there's no place for shame either. Because look in Isaiah 61 verse 10. Delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Quite like watching golf. Not a good player. The Masters, it's a pretty good tournament. I think I like the ending the best, the famous green jacket. If you win the Masters, you get accepted into the club. And to be accepted into the club, you're given a jacket to wear. Now, I don't own a green jacket. John Fenning was here, he'd probably be able to help me out with the array of his jackets. But this is what happens every year at the Masters. Past 
winners and the presidents of the club at Augustus, uh, they hold the jacket out and the winner uh, comes in uh, and um, it's all fitted beforehand, of course. Uh, and the jacket goes on the shoulders. Dan, come on. <laughs> come on. Thank you. Uh, and here we go. Yes. Yeah, yeah, arms first, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's do this properly. There we go. Uh, and the comments are made something like, um, I think it was Jordan, who, uh, Jordan Spieth won it last time. Uh, the comments are made something like, um, well done. You deserve that. What a round. What a four rounds you played. Well done. And beaming uh, in front of the camera, and there's a handshake. Uh, well done, sir. You've surely earned it. Yet. No. <laughs> Yet this is the upside-down kingdom. You see? It's nothing like the masters. You haven't earned it. You can't earn it. In fact says God, it's my jacket you need to wear. Adam Taylor, come on. God says, it's my jacket. It's not just a jacket that you have earned. It's my jacket. I clothe you with my righteousness. And it's through my son, Jesus. It's nothing through what you have earned. Therefore, go and sit down. Keep the jacket. Thank you. Thank you. If it were possible to enter by any other means, God would have done it. But he says, no, no, no. No, you need to be clothed in my righteousness. You cannot stand before me. There's no pride and there's no shame. There's no guilt. Trust in me and what I have done. And you see the Pharisees and the the teachers of the law, they've got it so wrong. They've got it so wrong that they think that they can earn goodness by following the law as we read throughout the bible we cannot we're never good enough for god at the end there jesus finishes for many are invited but few are chosen few respond to the invitation correctly jesus is saying by putting on the righteous robes of god I need to remember this every day. Cowley Church, please remember it every day. The invitation, it is so generous. Accept it. Don't reject it. The dress code, don't ignore it. It's only by the clothes God gives you can enter into his wedding feast. The righteousness of Jesus. Cowley, what a great message you've got to share with the neighborhood. What a great message I've got to share with my friends, with my neighbors, with my work colleagues. Isn't our prayer for Cowley, isn't our prayer for ourselves that we'll see many wearing the jacket. We'll see many entering the kingdom of God through our faithful witness as we hand out the invitation and say, please, please consider it. But please don't ever think you can make it by your good works or good deeds. Just through trusting in what the Lord Jesus has done. This is why it's the upside down kingdom. It's mind blowing. It's mind boggling that he, the king of kings, would clothe me in his righteousness. With his jacket. It's the upside down kingdom. And praise God that we've been invited 
please don't ignore the dress code and don't refuse reject the invitation let's pray before we stand and sing together father we've sang about it already this morning uh, we've read about it through this story this parable that has a meaning directed at the pharisees and the chief priests but how very real for us this morning oh lord where there is danger for me and for my friends to either refuse the invitation because we're apathetically indifferent to it or because we're openly hostile father may that invitation be ever so real to each one of us today and then lord perhaps for many in this room to forget what the dress code is to think it's about good works hard work help us to realize that it's only through that the royal robes of the lord jesus do we enter to the greatest feast of all time so help us to do this daily that we would trust you we'd say you're king of kings your savior and your savior because you died in my place and now my righteousness is because the lord jesus righteousness went before me and has clothed me and we pray all these things in jesus name amen